0: Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to work through due to the pandemic. And right now we need you in order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success. We need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State Boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the Boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen.
2: Keith, never in the illustrious, checkered, not very long history of front row knolls, but we are, what, I don't know, five, six, seven years in. I've lost seven seven years in, I think. Whatever. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I think we were doing this when uh, in the 2013 season. We came around Mm -hmm. at a good time. Never have we had as much to talk about when there wasn't a game played as what we have today. (laughs) Well, now, all summer long,
0: we were talking about whether a game would be played. And then we get to the point where we're playing games and one gets scheduled, and now we have one canceled. And wouldn't you know, after all we talked about, how Florida State had not had to reschedule anything, had not had any issues other than Coach Norvell and a player and a, and a, and a coach not traveling, you know, it had been kind of smooth sailing. We get the one and only to date game canceled day of game. Based on everything I know, so aren't we aren't we just lucky?
2: And over the summer when we were doing those shows, the verbiage was different, but we did the same show every week for six months. (laughs) So at least this will be different. This is is not looking at the headlights in the road ahead. This is rearview mirror. So here we are. We're on Wednesday, and I don't know if Dabo's met the media yet today. I'm sure if he's speaking at. uh, some booster club, or there's a microphone in front of his face that he will absolutely blast Florida State again because that's what he's done every chance he's gotten since Saturday. So let me just give you my, my two cents processing this, then you weigh in, and we can, we can dive deeper. Uh, regarding the decision, I totally get that you can put smart people on both sides of the table and they can see things differently, and that the decision was they couldn't agree. And I support FSU in their decision, and I understand why Clemson people support Clemson. So that's fine. The game was postponed. Hopefully they're going to play it. Dabo's upset and frustrated. He traveled. His team was ready to play. I understand he's pissed. So was Mike Norvell. They didn't travel, but his team was ready to play too for whatever that's worth. They spent all week practicing. FSU needs as many at bats as they can get. So they have more tape so they can go back and coach up their team and improve. So To me, Dabo could unload once. He shouldn't have taken to the extreme he did, and then he should have shut up. But whatever, He's he's still talking. And then you have the league who's just let this fester from the moment that they issued the release, which had been tweaked from the original version. Even if they didn't want to step in as arbiter, and I understand why they didn't to resolve the dispute, they needed to more holistically say, we support the fact that the game couldn't be played. We're turning the page. We're going to try to reschedule it and... The league and the institutions will have no further comment. And if they weren't going to say that Saturday, they certainly needed to say that Monday after Dabo opened his mouth. So that's my take. Now you go. Well, you've got to
0: remember that Dabo, in fairness, is, is a football coach. And he cares about one thing. Uh, we're going to talk today, if things go as planned, about Jimbo. Uh, and over the last little while, there's been things about what he – thought about things. And he was first and foremost a football coach. So you've got to respect where Dabo's coming from. And in defense of Dabo, this is no different. It's a bigger scale, but this is no different than what New Orleans staff and and coaches and players said about the pass interference call two or three years ago. I mean a decision that was made on the field that a coach Didn't agree with and goes on and on and on about it. But, 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 but my but first, somebody, either the AD of Clemson or the president of Clemson, or as you're suggesting, maybe commissioner Swofford just needs to pick up the phone and call Dabo and say, we've had enough. If you say anything else, we're going to find you, you know how
2: that works and then move on. And that's what would have happened if somebody unloaded on the officials. You get that once and then you get fined and reprimanded and you could get suspended. This is It's not apples to oranges, but there was an article last week when the FSU soccer team won the ACC championship that had been 10 years since Mark Krikorian took a stand and got publicly reprimanded and the university got fined and he got suspended for not taking all of his starters to an ACC quarterfinal tournament match. And the reason was, and I have to explain it to understand, it was a gamesmanship thing. And Swafford came, the league came out strong to say it was not sportsmanship. We're going to fine you. You can't do this. Well, he did it because for the entire history of the ACC, they played the soccer tournament, basically an hour drive from Chapel Hill. And North Carolina always played a home game the weekend before and never had to travel for that or the tournament. Whereas if you were coming in as a road team like FSU, FSU would be playing a road game the previous weekend, get back late Sunday, have to immediately turn around and travel again on a Tuesday to go play this quarterfinal ACC game. So he made the decision, I'm going to leave my starters home, rest them, and the league reprimanded him. But you know what the result was? they changed the format of the way they do the tournament and now those quarterfinal games are played on the home campuses of the higher seed and guess what fsu's won like 7 of the last 10 acc tournaments or whatever it is so my point is again it's apples to oranges but if the commissioner can come out and reprimand a soccer coach for that decision and i realize he left players home and so it's gamesmanship and you're not you're not putting an equitable you're not putting your best foot forward you can certainly step out in this kind of situation and say hey I know families are going to fight and we're a family as the league, but enough's enough. Shut it. That's just kind of where I am on it.
0: Well, and again, I think our only difference is you would suggest, if I hear you correctly, you well, would suggest I'm kind of... doing that publicly. And I'm suggesting you might do that privately. Either way, something should
2: have, and maybe will, take place and I discounted and you're right it should have started with Clemson's AD and president but I'm just making the assumption that Dabo's so big at this point that nobody in Clemson South Carolina is going to tell Dabo what to do because that's what it feels like and candidly he's earned that right I mean I I don't I am
0: not absolutely frustrated with Dabo Sweeney and what he's done I get it it just got to end and we got to move on
2: Yeah, the level of vitriol surprised me. My frustration is more at the league, as I've said. Going back to the COVID point, and again, not apples and oranges, but I'll bring Joe Burrow into it, the Bengals quarterback, who just tore up his knee, and by all accounts, it's pretty bad. He tore everything. Yes,
0: it is, unfortunately for him. I feel so bad. So
2: he's he's gotten an opinion already from the Bengals team doctor, I'm sure. But you're Joe Burrow. You're the number one pick. You've got a messed up knee. You're also going to go find the best knee surgeon in the country, and he's going to look at the pictures and there might be a third doctor, and you're going to take all those opinions, and one might say, you know what, we should do the surgery as soon as possible. And another might say, we need to do it after six weeks when the swelling's down. And ultimately, smart people will disagree on the best course of action, but Joe Burrow will make a decision. So I I understand that Clemson feels that it followed the protocol that's in place, and Florida State feels it followed the protocol in place. To me, this this story should have been a turn the page. It's it's we're all disappointed. We're not playing the game. Instead, it's just turned into uh, I, what it's done. Candidly, it has it has it, the, to the question: Is Clemson a Florida State rival? <laughs> they are that, now. <laughs> you get in that debate of well, Miami's a rival and Florida's a rival and Clemson, eh? No, they're a rival now. It, it well, has not only changed that. the dynamic of this rivalry for all time. Let me tell you something, and I'm serious. If they replay
0: that game on the 12th of December, Tallahassee, Clemson, playing in Atlanta, I don't care. There's going to be an altercation amongst the players. There's going to be an altercation amongst the players, and it's the age-old thing. The adults couldn't get their act together, and it's the children that will end up responding.
2: There's also going to be a really lopsided score on the scoreboard most likely, but we knew
0: that going in. I didn't need to have to address that.
2: You know, one thing we didn't say, and I feel like Mike Norvell and FSU doesn't need this said there was absolutely 0% chance that Florida state was trying to duck Clemson. Zero. Less, Why? Than, zero. Less than zero. If there's ever a program that needs snaps,
0: live snaps, good on good let's get some things on tape so we can instruct and teach from you're exactly right. And not only that, when they started talking about the money, I went through the roof Yeah, because Florida state's going to lose somewhere, depending on who you talk to
2: seven figures for sure.
0: Yeah. Well over a million dollars. I recognize Clemson lost 300,000, but FSU is going to lose well over
2: a million. No, 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 no. Not, not only is FSU not going to make that Keith, but they already paid for the food and whatever else you couldn't keep, and the police officers that were directing traffic. And so, Florida State's already lost whatever it costs to, to execute a home game, whatever that sunk cost is, is gone. You know. Well, I'm combining the two together. You're exactly right. Yeah. So my point is, Clemson spent nearly 300 to travel here. Florida State probably spent 300 grand for a game that wasn't played already, on top of the ticket revenue that they're not going to make. So, and, and let's let's just think about this. I mean, the reality is, and we don't know for sure, I don't think Jordan Travis was going to be cleared to play last week. Now, they had said game-time decision, so maybe if the 9 o'clock stuff and the game getting canceled doesn't happen, maybe they go out and test and say he can play. I think there's a pretty good chance Florida State went all last week knowing they were going to play their fourth-string quarterback, Tate Rodemaker. And as far as I know, Wyatt Rector had moved back to quarterback to take some snaps as the emergency quarterback. And if they were going to go into the slaughter, so to speak, with that plan and they were scared, they would have told the world that Tate Rodemaker had the sniffles on Monday and gotten found another way out of it. They were not trying to not play that game. They were taking the hand they were dealt, here's our pieces, and we're putting them out there and let's kick off and play. And, and for the record, and I don't know if it's a hard and fast rule,
0: but there are also protocols in there for exactly what you've talked about when you have a segment issue. In other words, I know for a fact that if you cannot dress more than – if you can only dress seven or less offensive linemen, you're allowed not to play the game.
2: Yeah. So the scenario when you look at quarterbacks may have been that Jordan Travis was available as an emergency quarterback. So you had two. But the reality is, based on what we're hearing, and Tate spoke to the media this week, and it seemed he got most of the first-team reps. I think the reality is that game was Tate's last week. Now, we don't know, and it's a moot point. The bigger point here is Florida State was not trying to duck Clemson. Florida State's been on the wrong end of a lot of lopsided games the last three or four years, and they'll show up every Saturday and play. The athletic department's in a tight financial situation. They're not looking to just miss out on million, $1.5 million paydays. Uh, They need the TV revenue, of which, by not playing that game, I've seen the estimate that that's a two and a half million dollar unit that would come to the ACC to be split. I mean, there's, there's every reason in the world that game needed to be played save for concerns about COVID. And so that's why we are where we are. So here's what we'll do, Keith. Uh, we're going to bring in Andrea Adelson who is a ESPN college football and ACC writer. And she covered this story, has a lot of really good backstory about it. She'll join us next segment. I know she and David Hale just wrote a really comprehensive piece about the overall state of fsu football jimbo to willie to coach norvell we're not going to talk with her about that this is going to be really focused on but we may fact- cheat we may get a little bit into it we may get a little bit into it but the, the primary reason of motivation is to talk about Dabo, the league this game and we'll do that next when we continue andrew adelson from espn joins us on front row Knowles. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ with you. And we'll open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Pleased to bring Andrea Adelson back to the program from ESPN. It's it's probably been a year or two, but she's been on the program before. And uh, Andrea, one of these years, we're going to bring you on and we're going to be talking about how Florida State's back in the college football playoff and their matchup with whomever it is. Unfortunately, this is not that day. And uh, it's good to see you, first of all, as we're recording via Zoom. And thank you for your time. I wanted your perspective. Uh, you and David Hale have done a lot on Florida state here the last couple of weeks, but particularly with the Clemson game. And I can just give you, I know Keith and I are the homers here. So I'll, I'll give you my, my short take on it in a nutshell is I think it's reasonable that both medical sides could see it differently. And it's disappointing. The game wasn't played. Uh, I, I can't figure out for the life of me why Dabo just wants to continue to pour jet fuel on this. Again, I'm the FSU guy. And then I'm really disappointed that the league did not step in and, and be more vocal on this both ways. Just tell both schools to pipe down and let's turn the page on it. So that's sort of my my opinion. I, I'd like yours on now that you, this thing has played out.
3: So before the season started, this was set up to work where the medical staffs would get together the morning before the game and would have to agree that it was safe to play. Everybody knew the rules going into this, that both medical sides were going to have to sign off on it. And everybody knew there was going to be a possibility somewhere out there that a game might get pushed off the morning of kickoff if the medical sides could not agree. And the reason it was designed this way is because the ACC and the presidents felt the only people who could make decisions about games were the doctors. They didn't want coaches involved, they didn't want athletic directors involved for this reason because of the accusations that would follow about gamesmanship and was somebody holding something back or did they not want to play us for x y or z reason. They felt the doctors would be best served to make that decision. Now Clearly, the Florida State doctors and the Clemson doctors disagreed on what was safe. Clemson felt it followed all protocols. Clemson says that it kept the symptomatic player away from practice, that he was not symptomatic when he got on the airplane. Florida State believes otherwise based on the conversations the doctors had. And that's where the difference of opinion came. I also am disappointed in the direction Dabo decided to go with this because He and Mike Norvell were on the coaches' subcommittee for coronavirus in the preseason where they could talk about their concerns and bring them to the athletic directors. Both of them were intimately involved in trying to figure out what are the best protocols here. Everybody agreed to these rules. And now suddenly, Dabo feels, well, these rules aren't good enough anymore, and I'm going to go ahead on the attack when his team is the one that had a player test positive for coronavirus. And let me just add, at the beginning of the coronavirus, one of their best players, Xavier Thomas, got tested and turned positive. He had major lung issues that were prolonged for months and months. So if anybody should know the dangers of coronavirus and the potential for problems, it should be Dabo. Cause he's dealt with that firsthand on his team. I thought it was a bad look. I thought it was bad form. I know that he wears his heart on his sleeve and that he's passionate. And I don't think there's any place right now for accusations when everybody's trying to do what they feel keeps their players healthy and safe. As for the ACC, I talked to Commissioner John Swafford. He said he has spoken to both school presidents, both athletic directors, and he was hopeful that everyone could put this behind them. But then Dabo continues to speak out. And I don't know if it's because Dabo has a lot of power there and nobody can really talk to him, and he's just going to say what he wants. And it doesn't matter what the AD and the president say. But I'm really hopeful that now that it's midweek, everyone can put this behind them and that these teams will potentially be able to play.
0: Andrea, one of the stories that uh, rumors, one of the rumors that is out there that I don't know whether you know about or not is that Dabo allowed either some or all of his team to go home during their bye week. Florida state did not allow their kids to go home during bye week. And that somehow became a friction uh, involved, true or not true, don't know.
3: Clemson did allow its.
2: Up, oh, she just froze up on us. Welcome to Zoom. So hopefully she'll jump back in here uh, momentarily. We're talking with Andrea Adelson from from ESPN, who has uh, done a lot on Florida State's uh, watch here of late, including. Uh, writing a long article with David Hale about sort of the end of the Jimbo era and how Florida State got to the situation it's in. That's not the purpose of our interview right now. And uh, Andrea is still frozen as we're recording via Zoom. Keith, I'll expound on that, though, while we wait for this to technology to come back. Uh, both bye weeks that FSU had, Florida State did schedule practices on Friday and Saturday, and it was so that players would not go home where they might be more susceptible to <clears> – <throat> pick up COVID not through intentional uh, malfeasance just through the fact that you're around other people and you don't know it and now you bring it back so um, and I can't speak to what Clemson did obviously Andrea before she she broke up and she's gonna have to rejoin the zoom here and she's coming back in um, you know that was Clemson's situation so that was part of the friction point and Andrea with technology 2020 we're still going and up and now you're locking up again so I don't know what's going on here. Keith, is there something you want to add on that? We'll see if she unfreezes here. Well, obviously, that is not
0: necessarily a consideration that anybody should have taken in. What I'm talking about, what I fear, is that Dabo is trying to protect or divert the conversation away from him having done something that wasn't as bubble-related as Florida State did. And, therefore, that might have been part of the part of the issue uh, and why Dabo is continuing to um, uh, voice his frustration over it.
2: Andrew is back now. Andrew, you didn't hear all that, but we we sort of we we filibustered here about FSU keeping players in town for a bye week. And, and again, we don't know the particulars of, of what, you know, what Leash Dabo did or didn't have on his players for their bye weeks.
3: Yeah, uh, sorry. My internet connection, I guess, was on the fritz there for a minute. But essentially, the problem here is that schools are going about the way they're handling their players and their protocols in a different way. So Clemson allowed their players to go home on the off week. Florida State did not. I've heard from other schools that have kept their players there. Others who have said, look, I'm not going to tell my players they have to stay here and be under lock and key. They need to be able to make the right choices. So when you're in a situation where one school is doing this, this school's doing that, a third school's doing it a different way, you're gonna run into issues like what we saw this past weekend. Beyond all that, the contact trace protocols, which is another part of this we hadn't even talked about, the ACC left that up to the schools, the campus officials and local municipalities to figure out, okay, how should we apply the contact tracing rules for the football teams? So Clemson's viewing it one way, Florida State's viewing it another way. Symptomatic players, what to do with a symptomatic player? That's another issue that came into play here. Florida State has been very cautious with what to do with symptomatic players. They did not allow James Blackman to travel a few weeks ago to Louisville, an assistant coach, because they they showed symptoms. They were negative the whole time. They were being cautious. In another instance, Florida State, flew two symptomatic players separately to a road game. So they weren't with the team to await the Friday test results. So I think that the the key here is how did Clemson treat the symptomatic player? Clemson says one thing, don't know which side of this is, has all the accurate information. And the, the player was on the team airplane. We have seen several instances this season where where there was team spread because there was a player who was unknowingly positive on the team airplane happened to Florida. It happened to Baylor and it happened to a couple of other teams. In fact, I know of one ACC team that proactively decided to push off one of their games because they were going to have to get on an airplane. They had a couple positives and they were worried about further spread on the plane. So having said all of that, you can see why there's disagreement among the doctors. Because you already disagree about how you're handling the protocols. Florida State has been cautious in their approach. Clemson feels they're following all the protocols based on what the ACC Medical Advisory Group has said. Both sides have a claim here. And that's why you have the disagreement.
2: Moving it past Dabo, because who knows how much he's going to continue to speak about this. Are you surprised at the ACC, that Commissioner Swafford, who's in his last year, was not more forceful sooner? Because honestly, the comments he made to you, which were great, those could have been placed in the release on Saturday morning. And certainly, they could have released something on Monday after Dabo exploded on Sunday. It, it, credit to you, but it shouldn't have taken you to circulate his comments, is my two cents.
3: I agree with you on that. I think part of the issue here was the wording of the statement that came out on Saturday that basically said the medical advisors couldn't come to an agreement. It was the first and only release in which a a ACC game was put off that did not say coronavirus issues for X team, Y team, or both teams. That's what set alarm bells ringing. And that's what gave, Clemson the opportunity to start spinning the narrative before Florida state had a chance and Florida state was in a difficult situation because it wasn't a positive on their team. So Florida state didn't feel as if it could be vocal about what was happening because they weren't going to talk about another player that was not on their team. They wanted Clemson to be more transparent about it. And Clemson didn't want to be because Clemson wanted to play the game. Clemson's doctors said we can play the game. So they blamed Florida State because the Florida State doctors said no. And they continue to maintain that, that they followed the protocols and their doctors felt it was safe to play. I asked John Swafford about this. What could the league do? What could the league have done here to, to resolve this dispute? And he said, we're not going to force anyone to play a game if they don't want to play a game. That, that's the bottom line here. We knew there might be the potential for disagreement. But we're not going to sit here and say, Florida State, you got to play this game. Or, you know, let's say Clemson didn't want to play. Clemson, you got to play this game. And it didn't seem as though he thought the ACC could do much of anything, at least on Saturday, which I disagree with because this became a mess when there was a void in that press release, when there was a vacuum in the explanation for why this happened. And you started to see a lot of the blame going to Florida State. And the ACC prides itself on being a league where it's gentlemanly and collegial and everyone gets along and they're not like those guys at the SEC who like to throw dirt at each other. Well, this was a situation where it was handled poorly, the dirt started to fly, and nobody in the league felt as if they needed to say something. And I don't know if that's because, you know, football coaches have become larger than life in a lot of instances, and Clemson wields a lot of power in this conference right now because of the success they've had and who Dabo is. But I do feel as if the league should have been more vocal about this situation and explained it more clearly so that it wasn't up to sources on each side to argue their case.
0: Andrea, have you seen the story? I believe it was in the Democrat that the press release that went out was a revised press release. The original script allegedly had some little clearer language that got signed off on, and then it got changed and it got released.
3: I was told that happened on Saturday. Um, uh, Someone put in a, a freedom of information act request to get the emails from President Thrasher and some of the other Florida State administrators on Saturday. And so what I was told, it bore out on those emails, and that was clearly in there. And again, that's at the heart of this dispute because Florida State felt that it was being blamed for its doctors believing there was some risk to playing this game, even though it was Clemson that traveled with a player who eventually tested positive for coronavirus. And my biggest complaint in all of this is when Dabo said this is not a COVID issue. That, that really bothered me. You can defend your team, you can defend your protocols, and I know that Dabo is going to take up for his players. I know everybody wanted to play. They were there, they were at breakfast. I know that it's extremely frustrating and disappointing. But when you have a player who's tested positive on your team, you can't say it wasn't a COVID issue. There is so much about coronavirus that we still don't know, even though we've been going through this now since February. How can anybody sit there and say there's no risk? I'm not a doctor, so I don't know. But I feel anybody who has coronavirus, there's some kind of risk for transmission. You know, we've been told that masks help, but it's not 100% guarantee that that's going to keep you safe. It's a very good chance it will keep you safe, but you have to do all the other things around wearing a mask to be able to keep you safe. And even still, it can find you. How many cases have we seen where everyone's done the right thing and yet they've tested positive? So for me, this virus is... There's just still so much about it that we don't know. It's in the air. It's airborne. How does it spread exactly? We sort of know, but we still don't have all the answers. So that's why playing football in the middle of a pandemic was always going to be risky. And that's why there remains risk involved anytime you have got a player or a coach who's tested positive.
0: Guys, my last thing on it and this is a direct criticism of Dabo is he made the statement that Florida state was worried about a kid that probably wasn't even going to play. That tells me he doesn't understand what he's talking about.
2: Well, and to Andrea's point, Keith, and I, I, it's like everything, there's more science uh, being uncovered part, uh, you know, you can say that there's starting to be evidence that there's, or, or that there's not been spread documented spread on the field. But that ignores the fact that we've gone to such lengths to make sure that nobody getting on the field has COVID in the first place, which might be why there's not spread. So we just don't. And I know like at the high school level, they're looking at this more where the the testing protocols are not as significant uh, because they don't have the dollars. And so maybe that's true, but we don't really know. But let me ask you this just to move it forward, Andrea. Um, Is this game going to get rescheduled? Is this game going to get played?
3: I'm going to make one more point on what you said from the Florida state perspective, they didn't want to send a different message to their players based on the way they have treated positives, contact tracing and symptomatics that would make it seem they were going to bend toward what Clemson felt was safe. They wanted to stick to what they've been doing and maybe they've been overly cautious, but the fact is, Florida State has felt good about these protocols and they didn't want to waver in any direction. Now, for whether this game is going to be played, I don't know. Clemson's preference is to see whether they can play these next two games, home game against Pitt, then Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is a closer trip for them. Pitt is obviously a home game. And as we saw last weekend, you never know whether these games are going to be played until they actually kick off. So let's say something comes up and they cannot play one of these two games, their preference would be to reschedule Pitt or Virginia Tech. If they get these two games in as scheduled this weekend and December 5th for Virginia Tech, then the question becomes Clemson wants an open date. If they win these two, they're in the ACC championship game. Does the ACC make Clemson come back to Tallahassee to play this game? And that is the question I don't have an answer to right now. I asked John Swafford, is this game going to be rescheduled? And he said, I'm hopeful they'll be able to play. But of course, in typical John Swafford fashion, it, no definitive answer there, and just trying to play both sides of it because he needs to keep both constituents happy. So they're talking about it. But for me, I think it's a wait and see approach about what happens the next two weekends and whether they'll they'll need this game to be rescheduled.
0: And one other complicating factor is right now, Notre Dame is scheduled to play on the 12th. And if those are the two teams in the ACC championship, do you let Clemson have a bye week and make Notre Dame play?
2: Well, and if I'm Notre Dame, if, if they don't make Clemson come back to FSU and I'm Notre Dame, I'm saying, well, we're not going to wake. What are you going to kick us out of the league? I mean, Uh, There's a hand to play for Notre Dame there, too.
3: Absolutely. And I talked to some folks to Clemson about that. They want that open date. And they know that Notre Dame is scheduled to play Wake Forest. But that game doesn't have to happen. The ACC can very easily say, you know what? Uh, we're just going to let this one go so both teams can have an open date. So there's still a lot involved in this. Obviously we need to see what happens with Notre Dame and Clemson the next two weeks to see if they both are able to clinch a spot in the ACC championship game. And then we'll see whether the power of Notre Dame and Clemson and that name brand and who they are and what they're going to mean for the league in terms of playoff potential possibility will allow them to play December 12th or just say, you know what, you guys just take that week off so you can get ready for the ACC championship game.
0: Adrian, one other point I want to go back to that and then stretch that into that excellent article, excellent article that you and David did. Florida state has to be more transparent and truthful with their players because of what's happened over the last five or six years with Norvell trying to rebuild that trust, and, and that kind of plays into the whole thing that Florida State is going through, does it not?
3: Oh, Absolutely. And I think that's why Florida State's protocols right now maybe are more aggressive than Clemson's because there were some trust issues back in August about coronavirus and about the testing protocols. And Mike Norvell was called out for that. And then Mike Norvell test positive. So he's had his own experience going through the coronavirus. He's heard from players who were not happy about the transparency and what was happening with the coronavirus. And he fixed it. He worked to fix it. And it might be more stringent, but they feel what they're doing is working right now. And the trust issue is so important. It is so important. When I talked to Mike Norvell for the story, just looking in depth at what's happened to the program the last six years, the thing that struck me the most in his comments, when I asked him "What, what shape was the locker room in when you got here? And he used the word delicate. And there's a reason he used the word delicate. These players have now had a third coach in four years Some of them have had a fourth coordinator in four years and they don't know who to trust because they haven't had anybody to trust. They haven't had anybody to believe in them because it's a revolving door inside the coaching office. So that's one aspect of it. And from the administration side, and I heard from some players and from former officials at Florida State, the players see when other schools are getting bells and whistles and lots of things. And the Florida State players are told, well, no, we can't make this upgrade in nutrition, for example, because we just were not able to do that. We've had some setbacks. And they ask, well, why does my buddy at this school get this? And how come I don't get that here? Those are questions that have come up the last few years. And a lot of that is a lack in trust in the administration as well, to give them all the resources that they need to be the best football players that they can be. So I know Mike is working really hard to change that. What I think is a positive moving forward is Mike learning some really hard lessons about communicating and understanding that it's going to take some time to gain the player's trust, but also making sure that everybody there is on the same page from the president from the athletic director and from the new head of Seminole Boosters, Michael Alford, so that everyone can work together, pull in the same direction. The communication is all the same from everybody. You're not hearing something from this guy, the other guy, the third guy. The message has to be the same. And when the message is the same and you yourself are the same every day, then you can start to build back some of that trust with your players. And then you'll start to see, a turnaround.
2: Andrea Adelson from ESPN, we could pick your brain longer, but uh, it, it's we genuinely appreciate your time and your perspective. I mean, we know we're Florida State guys and we see it from up close. So it's always nice to to get perspective that sees the whole league covers all of college football. Uh, this too shall pass, I suppose. Uh, it's one of my biggest frustrations in college football is that there's not a commissioner and something, somebody that would make some rules so we don't go through this, but it is what it is. Thank you for your time and the work you do. We appreciate it.
3: Thanks for having me and happy Thanksgiving, guys.
2: Happy you too. Thanksgiving, we'll Step you aside too. and come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this.
1: Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833 fsu News.
2: Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ. Thanks, thanks to Andrea. So you know, Keith, I, I like I always talk about us being homers, and we you know, we're inside the program. Uh, and, you know, we've been on home team radio. So on the one hand, we are. On the other hand, I think we we come at this – we try to be pretty realistic and look at it. But I wanted Andrea's perspective as somebody who covers all of college football and all the ACC, basically an outsider weighing in and a neutral party. And uh, I think she's where we are on this. I mean, was that your takeaway with this? It's mine, and and, and I'll say two other things. Number one,
0: uh, you know, I thought the article that that was done – was very good. And that elevated Andrea in my mind, we've had her on the show before we've known her for four or five years. The more I see her work, the more I talk to her, the more impressed I become with her. And I think the rest of the world is seeing that too, to the point that, you know, when she says she has a conversation with John Swafford, she's, I think reached the point where Swafford is going to be candid with her. He's not going to give her the proverbial coach speak, that he might at a press conference or something. So I really do value her insight and her perception of how she sees things. And I think she has a great understanding of the ACC and the dynamics involved. Um, So, yeah, I, 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 I think the world of her and I think the world of her work and I think her insight is spot on.
2: So really good reporting on that. And we'll just see if this game ultimately gets played. Uh, going back to the sort of the end of our conversation there, Keith, and I'm being serious. If I'm Notre Dame, if the ACC says Clemson doesn't have to come to FSU, why in the world would Notre Dame go to Wake Forest?
0: Well, there's two parts to that. Number one, the the, the uh, factual part. If you're not making Clemson play, why do we have to play? That, and that's a legitimate argument. But the sub-part of that or the secondary part of that is if Notre Dame doesn't play Wake, That's not part of the NBC contract. That's a part of the ESPN contract. Does the league, and therefore the member schools, forfeit another, whatever the number is, we'll call it $2.5 million because that TV game doesn't get played, just like the alleged and perceived $2.5 million that the league didn't get when Clemson FSU wasn't played, that they would get back if Clemson and FSU does play on the 12th. So what? that's a $5 million swing in order to protect having two teams get the bye week before the championship game. One of the teams, by the way, is not a permanent member of the ACC.
2: So here's the thing. I just did the math on it real quick, Keith. If that number is right, two and a half for each of those games, we'll, we'll make the math solid. It's easy to do. So we'll say those two games are worth $5 million to the TV package. And those dollars would go back to the league and then be split. And actually, I divided by fifteen, and I probably needed to do sixteen because Notre Dame's getting a full share, and the conference would get a share. But the point is, if you put five million more into the pot, if if you divide it by fifteen, it's three hundred thirty grand a school, three hundred thirty-three grand a school. Well, I I think every school could probably take that right now. Uh, If you took the three hundred grand off the top that Clemson says it spent to travel here, and divided four point seven million by fifteen. It's 313,000. So there is, it would behoove the league and all its schools to play both the Wake Forest Notre Dame game and the FSU Clemson game. I mean, unless, it, unless you're just deciding for your member institutions that we'd rather that Notre Dame and Clemson each have a bye week instead of giving you an extra
0: $300,000. Well, and then you can either extract, you can even extrapolate that more. What if you get uh, Notre Dame flies to Wake Forest and Wake Forest has a player test positive? Yeah. <laughs> I well, mean, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I think the, the fairest thing, the fairest thing and Andrea talked about this you know, if one of Clemson's next two games gets postponed, then it probably can't be make up, made up, so it becomes cancelled. Well, what do you do with that? And et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's going to be some interest there because the potential to be some interesting scenarios in the next couple of weeks moving yeah, forward.
2: I, I think what Clemson has done by being so vocal and over the top on this is they have planted the seed that if, and when the game's rescheduled, the league is going to pay for their travel back. It just feels like, I mean, cause they're out here saying, well, we don't want to lose a home game against Pitt. Well, how is the league, Supposed to say, if if the pit game didn't get played this week, how does the league give preference or deference to Clemson and say, well, we're going to give you back your home game so you can make your money, but Florida State, we're not going to give you back what would have been your biggest revenue game of the year?
0: Well, and that also leads to another point that you've made repeatedly, which I think is fair. At some juncture this year, next year, five years from now, the league is going to have to come to grips with the disparity. And the travel budgets for the quote-unquote furthest away teams, to use a good southern term, like Miami, like Florida State, and find a mechanism to uh, make that more equitable, because in a in a regular year, Carolina, you know, buses the three games and flies to 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 to, to one. And FSU has to fly at all four if you're playing an eight game, nine game schedule, that type of thing. Again, bigger picture than we can get into right now, well, but well, it no. may,
2: may force that issue as well. So there no, may be a positive that comes out of it long term. I think that's a legitimate issue. And I know I've brought it up before, but I, since you just brought it up again, I want to dive a little deeper on that for the sake of our uh, you know, listeners or fans. If you haven't been to these cities or actually looked at the geography of it, basically what the ACC was, you know, we joke about Tobacco Road, but all the original member institutions, their bus drives away. I mean, Virginia, Virginia Tech gets that benefit, even though it's not original, you have the four schools in Carolina, and frankly, Clemson benefits from that too. They're all sort of in that area where you can drive from Clemson to Blacksburg. And, and the reason I'm bringing up the drive is because of the budget savings you get if you're busing compared to flying now on the football side you may take a plane because football is big dollars and it's about recruiting but what we're saying here is if you think about every time the fsu tennis team travels or swim team or cross country team or baseball team it is costing florida state and the other outliers miami syracuse boston college louisville two to three times more to go play that game at Duke, at North Carolina, at NC State, at Wake, at Clemson, at Virginia, at Virginia Tech, then it's costing those schools to play the same game where they can just bus. Now, I'm not a spreadsheet guy, but I would suggest that what we're getting at here, Keith, is if you actually, like you do with bowl expenses, shared travel costs, I bet – that it would be a savings of probably five million a year or so for the outlying schools, and it would be an increase in spending for the tobacco road schools of four or five million a year. And that's hard dollar. That's a $10 million budget difference.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm I am a spreadsheet guy. I don't know if your $5 million might be a little too much, but it doesn't matter. The concept is the same. And then you got one other thing that we'll bring it back to this week. Um, Virginia coach Mendenhall has said that don't be surprised when they show up that they don't have 12 buses because they're going to fly to Tallahassee, but they don't want more than eight or 10 kids on any one bus with staff and support people. And so Florida state typically travels when they travel it's four buses, sometimes five buses, Virginia might have 12 buses agreed. They're only going from the airport to the hotel hotel, to the stadium, stadium back to the airport. But that's a decision that Virginia made that's going to increase their cost directly related to COVID, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah. And Clemson had said they had nine buses last week. So that's expenses that lots of schools are incurring. Yeah, and you're right. It it might not be a five million dollar number. Whatever it is, the point is if you're on tobacco road, you're spending less to travel and compete in college athletics than the outlying schools. And now the dynamic that's changed and and we can continue this conversation in the next segment, the dynamic that has changed with the expansion of the ACC is that forever and ever, especially when FSU was the ninth school in a nine-member league, you had eight good old boys who had been in the league from the start and one outsider. Now you have as many outsiders, if you will, in the league as you do insiders, and so you can – get a more equitable vote or have a a more balanced conversation, I think. I see you want to weigh in. Let's take a break, and we'll come back and do our last segment. This is Front Row Knowles.
1: Front row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
2: Back on Front Row Knowles. All right, Keith, I cut you short there about the insiders no, no, no. versus outsiders.
0: Well, that is a fair statement, but then it is also complicated by the fact that you've tra- you've changed the structure of authority in the ACC. Because now, you know, it used to be most of the decisions were made at the athletic director's level, and now with the newly constituted board, the decisions are made at the presidential level. So not only do you have more schools and the good old boys, if we – can use that term, uh, their power is diluted. You're now having decisions made by people that don't have only athletics in mind and they're making decisions based on what's good for the institution. You know, what, what, how does that fit into the culture and the style that you want to project, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you have a quote unquote lame dunk commissioner because we know Swofford is retiring I mean, there's a lot of dynamics in there. This might be, if you want to be positive, this might be an opportunity
2: for some positive change that you never would have had previously. I'll tell you what this whole episode has made me realize even more. And I've been a genuine, generally, I've gotten Swafford and the ACC's back, even though there's plenty of FSU fans who have not and think most leagues think the conference doesn't have its best interest in hand, unless you're Duke and Carolina, even Clemson feels that way about the league and they're one of the good old boys. Um, but if you think about when Swafford announced his retirement, one of the names on the shortlist, when people spitball, who should be the next commissioner of the league is the Clemson AD, Dan Radakovich. So now think about that FSU folks in light of the last week, Do you want him on the short list to take over for Swafford? So what it's cemented for me, Keith, is more than ever the ACC, because it's a different league than what it was for all those years. I mean, it's got New York and Boston and Louisville and Miami, uh, you know, all, all the footprints, the whole Northeast. And I mean, the whole East coast, the ACC to me needs somebody who doesn't have a prior affiliation. It needs a big, a big time national name. Doesn't even have to come from, traditional college athletics. We've talked about this before. It can be sports marketing. It can be professional sports. I guess what I'm saying, it needs more vision than what you're going to get. If you go back and get somebody who just had worked their way through up the ACC and into a, a conference school, my opinion.
0: And I would echo that. Uh, and I would add that, you know, that's the, uh, that's the inevitability of taking an eight when FSU joined a nine member conference at, y amount of money and making it a 15 14 or 15 league with y times fill in a number equals the amount of money uh it's it's just a much more um, comprehensive much larger enterprise that somebody has got to keep track of and has got to be able to uh, administer and you know
2: it's just – it's not it's not your grandfather's ACC anymore, period the end. No, it's not. And, you know, we talked to – I used the soccer story at the beginning of the show with Krikorian, and I don't have the hard data in front of me. I should have checked with Bob Thomas, uh, formerly of FSU Sports Info, longtime beat writer with the Florida Times-Union. And Bob's a basketball guy, and he had looked at this, and it's the same sort of point. Uh, this is where the ACC has had to evolve its thinking. Duke and North Carolina in men's hoops – it's the draw. It's always the final regular season game. So Duke and, and Carolina are always in either Durham or Chapel Hill the Saturday before the ACC tournament, which nine times out of 10 has been in Greensboro or Charlotte, which means that neither team is having to travel really on the road the week weekend prior, nor are they really having to travel for the tournament. And well, oh, by the way, the tournament will be in Greensboro this year. Yes. I just announced that. Well, Bob at one point had done the research in Florida state when it joined the league it was forced to play a road game for the final regular season ACC men's basketball game, something like 12 out of the first 15 years in the league. So FSU was having to go to Maryland. You would know, you traveled with them some of that come back on Sunday and immediately turn around and travel again on Tuesday or whatever it was. And so there is a wear and tear effect and it's not equitable, which is bringing it full circle. That's the point Mark Krikorian was making. And now the ACC has finally evolved a little bit in that they moved the tournament to New York and DC and Atlanta, and and actually Keith and I've been the move the tournament out of Greensboro guy. I understand why they moved it to Greensboro this year with COVID concerns, and I actually think that's fine and makes sense. But in general, it's it's the you just have to think more holistically and bigger picture. You can't think only about Raleigh, Greensboro, Durham, Chapel Hill. That's the bigger point I'm making. Without question,
0: without question. And it's taken the addition of some non-good-old-boy thought process in order to get that movement. Uh, And I'm telling you, back to my other point, uh, the next year, two years are going to be very interesting for not only Florida State, because we know that President Thrasher is transitioning we believe that that will mean a new athletic director at some point in time. Um, we know that Commissioner Swalford is transitioning. So Florida State's going to see some change. The ACC's going to see some change. There's some necessary change that's been <clears throat> brought about because of the pandemic. Um, so it's going to be interesting times moving forward. Not that the last eight months hasn't been interesting, but they're going to continue even when the vaccine comes about and we're not talking about uh, quarantining and not being able to be with family at thanksgiving and remote learning and all that kind of stuff
2: as we wrap up keith for those who've listened to today's show and are frustrated by the last week uh, i'm not going to open up the conference uh, expansion realignment conversation again because the reality is fsu signed a grant of rights. It was needed to, to show that the league was not going anywhere. It got the ACC network off the ground. And that goes through 35-36, which is the length of the t- current TV contract. And I, I actually researched this this week, Keith. There's not even a buyout with it. So it's not as if you and I, if we won the Powerball and wanted to give $50 million to FSU to go buy their way out of that, what happens is if a team, if a school leaves before 35 or 36 – All their home broadcast rights, their TV revenues, remain with the ACC. So you can't even take your rights and bring them elsewhere. So we just need to accept the fact that this is what it is. But that's why we're advocating and saying this is what we need in the commissioner's office.
0: It certainly, it's kind of like, well, I won't even use that analogy. It certainly means that you need to come to the table and be willing to negotiate and maybe give up something in order to get something because you don't have another alternative. Yeah,
2: exactly right. Well, it's uh, Keith, we didn't talk about one thing on the field this week, so I guess we did have that diversion. Well, the good news is that
1: in
0: all likelihood, Florida State will play a game. The bad news is, well, the continuing news is they're nine-point underdogs. Uh, Virginia rolls in on a three-game winning streak. Uh, Coach Norvell and Coach Mendenhall have faced off against each other. They're aware of each other. And maybe, just maybe, you know, frustration and sometimes anger is a good motivator. So maybe, just maybe, this Florida State team will be frustrated and or angry. And uh, an opportunity to get that out will come Saturday night in Doak.
2: Let's hope. Man, just when we think that it can't get – the plot can't thicken – this plot in the last few years, Keith, it's been a doozy. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting to the end or at least uh, feeling like we've turned the corner. I, I do think this, I saw a lot of people talk about how this whole, the whole happenings of the last week is really united or reunited, the FSU family. And so maybe, maybe we'll put this as a marker in the sand, the day that we went from the last few years and we started climbing back up the other way. If that makes sense.
0: Well, you know, we talked, uh, as we wrap up, we talked three or four years, uh, weeks ago, three or four weeks ago, where in a very candid moment, coach Norvell had basically said, I'm paraphrasing here, but had basically said that, you know, we've got to reach rock bottom before we can turn back up and we may not be there yet. And that was three or four weeks ago. Maybe this is rock bottom. And now the recovery begins. Keith, have a happy Thanksgiving. So same to you and, and same Kathy to our and listeners. Family. Yep, uh, you and, and, uh, and Laura and your, your guys. Uh, and to our listeners, happy Thanksgiving. We do have plenty, despite everything that's going on. We do have plenty to be thankful for. Uh, we need to be smart in our uh, gatherings with our family, uh, but we need to enjoy some time with our family, and I'm looking forward to it.
2: Next week, by the way, a little bit of a tease. Jerry Kutz will join us, and it will be a deep dive about the big ESPN article sort of how FSU got to where it is right now and, and Jerry's got perspective given where he worked that uh, the rest of us can't even offer so it'll be a great conversation and uh, we look forward to that next week until then happy Thanksgiving we'll talk to you next Wednesday he's Keith i Tom so long
1: Control.